Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast, presented by Coastal Community Credit Union. Who's helping you take care of your financial health? Coastal Community Credit Union is here to help you reach your goals and do great things. Visit cccu.ca for more information. This episode's special guest is the CEO of Vancouver Island's own Cold Star Solutions. He stops by to talk about his company's development of the first refrigerated five-ton truck in North America. We also cover how his military background has impacted his approach to business and leadership, how core values impact decision-making, and much more. Our conversation starts now. My name is Kelly Hawes. I'm the CEO for Cold Star Solutions uh, based in Victoria, B.C., my wife and I started Cold Star Solutions back in uh, December of 1999 with the idea of hauling food product from the Lower Mainland to Vancouver Island and doing it very differently uh, than what, how it was being handled at that time. I used to work for a company back in those days, uh, and I was a manager there that used to haul car batteries and chicken, and my job was to make sure that nobody knew that those were on the same trailer. So there'd be mornings I'd be calling my wife and say, whatever you do, don't shop at the store today, goodbye. And uh, and I, I knew that that had to change. Um, so I got pretty frustrated. And I had gone to my boss at the time and with an idea on how to change that. Um, and I had done up a big business plan and stuff. And that I flew to uh, Alberta to meet with him. And on my own dime, that sort of stuff, went into his office. The meeting lasted 13 minutes, kicked me out of his office, said I was an idiot and that nobody would ever uh, would pay for that kind of a service. I was very angry, so I came back. I quit my job a few weeks later, and uh, and then Cold Star was born. Um, I had a Visa card and um, that was almost maxed already, and my wife and I just started banging away and trying to figure out how we were going to do this, and and it was a real challenge to get off the ground. So, um, but um, but that's how we sort of started. Um, I don't think I thought it through very well when we launched, um, but we were then committed. Um, a little bit of my background before that, just very quickly, is I, uh, I spent 10 years in the combat arms, uh, uh, so in the Army, because uh, I joined the Army because my dad was uh, in long-haul trucking, had a couple trucks, did that for 45 years, and I didn't want to be have anything to do with trucks, so I joined the Army, and uh, 10 years later, um, I get out of the army. I need a job. My dad teaches me how to drive a truck, and uh, and here we are. Uh, Twenty two years later, I'm still in the trucking business. So, I think it was in my blood, whether I liked it or not. Um, so uh, it was kind of funny. But uh, the military skills that I learned back then, I rely on uh, a lot to this day. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, so that's. Uh, I mean, currently, Cold Stars, a um, a grocery wholesale. Um, provider um, and third-party trucking company. So very quickly, we started with a um, with one truck and an idea, um, and we started hauling groceries to the island, uh, chicken, stuff like that. And the business quickly grew um, to have multiple locations. Um, then we got into cold storage um, on the island. Um, and then uh, in 2000, July 1st of 2014, we merged with an existing grocery wholesaler called Wilson Foods. That's when I took on partners um, for the first time. 
it expanded the business quite dramatically uh, then. And so we're a bit of an anomaly because, like I say, we're a third-party trucking company, public cold storage, and the only one on Vancouver Island. And we also buy and sell groceries and produce, and we supply those to all the independent grocery stores on Vancouver Island. So it keeps us hopping. We run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and haul anywhere, depends on the day, but anywhere between 800,000 to a million pounds of food every 24 hours. So uh, Monday through Friday. Weekends are a little slower, but Monday through Friday, we're doing about a million pounds a day. We're the largest user, uh, commercial user of BC ferries. Um, and uh, we also use C-SPAN, the barge system. And we spend just ballpark at around $3 million a year just on ferry, ferry and barge crossings in a year. So just to give people an idea, uh, we'd send 17 tractor trailers uh, round trip on the ferries per day on average. Um, and that's a $1,000 round trip. You know, so $17,000 a day just in ferries alone. So um, when people are wondering why groceries are expensive, well, these are some of the costs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyways, yeah. So Wild. Yeah. So hence why, you know, my job as the CEO is always looking for innovative ways to um, to reduce costs. So and, uh, and uh, which has led me into some uh, some interesting projects. Awesome. Well, Kelly, I really appreciate that, especially the family business uh, background there that I can uh, personally relate to that. Um, one thing I, I did want to talk about uh, with you is the innovation side of Cold Star. You've got a bit of a history of uh, of innovation. Uh, in our chat, kind of leading up to this, you had mentioned that you were one of the first, uh, I think, on the island to bring in CNG trucks to your fleet. And currently, you're in the development of uh, the first entirely refrigerated transportation truck. Um, and so I'm wondering, can you kind of, you, know, you can give some details on, on that as well, but is there something that stuck out to you about why you've taken the lead on these kinds of projects? Yeah, I, um, you know, the funny thing is, is um, I have a nickname or my wife has a nickname for me and, and she calls me Squirrel. Um, because I see all these shiny little objects and uh, I'm flying around uh, trying to figure it out. And uh, I'd been hearing about uh, CNG trucks, uh, but they were um, LNG at the time. Um, so a company in Vancouver, Better Transport, that my brother actually worked for uh, was using uh, LNG. And that kind of got me intrigued about it. When I started looking into it, I went, that's not going to work for Cold Star but it would CNG. Um, so uh, yeah, so it just piqued my interest. I got running around with that. Then I found out that nobody in Canada was running a 100% CNG class eight tractors. So a class eight tractor is the truck that pulls a big trailer. And so next thing I knew, I was flying around the US and Canada trying to research this. And, and March of 2014, we, had, we received our first 10 Mack trucks that were delivered to Victoria that were 100% CNG. And there again, it had never been done. Um, and part of the other problem was on Vancouver Island is that there was nowhere to fill them. So with uh, fortunately for us, Fortis has a location uh, about three blocks from us. So we were able to uh, talk them into building a, a fast fill fueling station for CNG trucks on their site. We paid for it, but they, uh, they manage it and stuff. And so away we went. Um, we've had a ton of challenges in those early days. 
we had within the first two years, all 10 engines uh, had to be rebuilt because they were faulty. Now it was all warranted. It was all, but it was all part of the learning and stuff. Anyway, so we just kept banging away at that. And next thing you know, uh, we're sitting right now, we have 45 trucks in our fleet, 35 of which are company trucks. So the other 10 are owner operators. And out of those 35 trucks, 25 of those are CNG. And if it wasn't for COVID, which slowed down the supply chain, um, we'd be, my goal was originally by the end of 2023 is to have no trucks running on diesel. So that's been stalled, obviously, because of all of this. But through this process, I then wanted to, about a year ago, wanted to buy some more CNG trucks. Um, and I was told that, um, the, that the dealerships are, uh, are not taking any orders right now. They've got such a backlog um, that they can't take any orders. So, so that was a real challenge for a trucking company if you can't buy trucks. Um, part of the problem, and I, I really, you know, will not get political in any way, shape, or form in this, but but part of the problem is, is over the years, um, we've uh, we have no truck manufacturing in Canada anymore. Everything is either in the U.S. or down in the in Mexico. Problem is, is a Canadian company trying to buy trucks uh, from a different country um, is really challenging because I believe that the the uh, U.S. companies are going to look after U.S. carriers before they're going to look after Canada. It just makes sense. So that kind of got my my attention, and I was starting to get quite cranky about that. And then I discovered this company in Montreal called Lion Electric, who has just uh, they've been building school electric school buses for quite some time. They've just come out with a um, five-ton truck that's 100% electric, uh, built right in Montreal. I went, oh my God, I got to look at this. So I flew out to Montreal, did a plant tour, said, okay, I want one. Um, and from the time we got it all, um, you know, it's not quite as simple as saying I want one of those. Now I got to figure out how do how do I refrigerate the truck because everything we do is refrigerated, um, all that sort of stuff. And the really cool part about that EV project is that everything's built in Canada. So um, pretty excited about that. Very expensive truck because it's the first one ever done. And when we launched into this, my comment to everyone was, listen, let's not worry about the dollars off that right out of the gate. Let's just try to get it built. Um, so anyway, so we put it all together. I think by the time we're said and done, this truck will come in at about $450,000. A regular CNG truck to do the exact same thing is about two twenty-five. dollars But uh, there is a grant for $100,000 from BC. Um, so that'll bring the truck from four fifty dollars to three fifty. dollars So we're not, it's still a very expensive truck, don't get me wrong. Um, but my goal is, I thought it was uh, a good investment to to figure all this out. And my goal now is before we bought another one is, can we get that price way down uh, to be comparable or can we find some other government monies or stuff like that? But for now, somebody's gotta be the first. So, so that sort of stuff gets me juiced. And, and uh, you know, yes, I do have a real job that I have to do. So all these projects get done off the side of my desk, but, uh, but it, it keeps me excited about coming to work every day. So. Awesome, Kelly. Well, I appreciate the detail there. I think that that is just to me to see something like that burst on Vancouver Island, uh, it'd be all Canadian, man, is just really special. 
Um, and I would have no doubt that your customers are going to be very excited about having their groceries delivered on that. You touched a little bit on the, the role that government played on the grant side. Um, is there anything that comes to mind there just in terms of the government's role in innovation? Did that, the, the knowledge that those kinds of grants were available spur you on? Or was this kind of like, I'm just going to do it because, you know, there's kind of a, a raconteur. Um, I mean, the grants and incentives are very, very important for the adoption of any kind of green technology, in my opinion. And we appreciate every dime we can get. Um, absolutely. However, I sometimes sit there shaking my head about how difficult these grants are to get. Um, you can tell that the grant process is written by people that are not running a small business. You know, the bigger companies can hire a full-time person to, to learn the process and, and get through it. Um, I'm doing it off the side of my desk and learning as I go, and uh, it's incredibly challenging. Um, and it's, I use the analogy of the square peg and round hole. Um, for example, they will say, well, you can't buy the truck until you have the grant, but um, okay, great. Um, but to apply for the grant, you need to know exactly what the truck's going to cost. You need to know all the specs and everything. And then you have to have it delivered between this date and that date. But it takes eight months to order a truck, but you only got three months to apply for the grant. And it's like, so it'll never work. And then you, so you bring that up to them and they go, well, then apply next year. And then, but you can't, like, it doesn't work. And so you're sitting there and a perfect example is that the federal government has just announced a grant right now that would pay a, an additional $100,000 towards this truck. I sat in their webinar last week. They said, yeah, the truck we've ordered is going to qualify for that grant. I said, awesome. I'm really excited about this. How do I apply for it? Oh, you can't apply for it right now because we haven't, we haven't figured out what the launch date of the program is going to be. I said, well, when's that going to be? Well, it could be anywhere between July and December. And I'm going, <laughs> okay, so... And so what do I do in the meantime? Well, you just have to wait. And I said, but I've already ordered the truck. Oh, you can't order the truck yet because you can't, you can't buy the truck until you've been approved for the grant. And I said, but I've already ordered the truck. So let's be clear. I haven't paid for it yet, but I've ordered it. It's on its way to me. Could I put it in the queue so that when the grant opens that I can, I can pay for the truck now and then get a rebate? No. And I'm going... So what do you expect me to do? Do not take delivery of that truck until this, if you want the money, until this grant is, is open. And I'm like, so you're delaying the adoption of green technology because you guys can't get your stuff together. You know, uh, it makes no sense to me. I just sit there shaking my head. Well, I can't delay the project. So the truck's coming on in the next two weeks. I'm not going to get that $100,000. So, well, Okay. Everybody goes, well, Kelly, that's too bad. You know, you, you shouldn't have been the first adopter. But if nobody's going to do it, so it's, it's crazy. I just get so frustrated. So what's going to happen is Cold Start's going to do all this work. We're going to pay the extra $100,000. My competitor's going to walk over to my yard, take a look at my truck, and be able to copy exactly what I've done because I've solved all the problems. And they're going to get the extra $100,000 grant and compete with me. And I did all the work and, and paid all the extra money. And the, and the government thinks that's okay. So there is no incentive 
to be the early adopter, right? So if nobody has the incentive to be the early adopter, then how do you how do you enforce change? So because I can guarantee you all the people that I do business with or people in the industry look at me and go, you're an idiot. Why are you doing that? Why would you, why wouldn't you just wait till somebody else does it? Now, the plus side is I get to say, well, hey, look what I did. But you know what? That's an expensive uh, ego boost, you know, if you will. So anyway, so, so do I think the government could do more and make it simpler? Absolutely. I wish they would talk to the trucking companies um, uh, while they're developing these programs, but they don't. So, okay. No, no, that makes, it makes complete sense. I want to jump into your business a bit. You did give a a nice background there, but the military background that you have, um, can you kind of elaborate on what that's done for you in terms of developing you as an entrepreneur business person? What I learned in the combat arms is don't tell me that something can't be done because there's always a solution. Um, It's just, um, it it takes a bit of thought, takes a bit of uh, uh, energy sometimes. And and more importantly, sometimes it just takes hiring the right people Um, because I can't solve all the problems, but boy, there's some pretty smart people out there. So um, figure that out. You know, I call it hiring my experts. Um, So hire those people, pay them well, and then get out of their way um, and trust them to do what you've asked them to do. And, uh, and so that, that the military, you know, this really beat that into me. And then the last one, or the last two is failure is not an option. So, you know, got to go. And, uh, and through all of that, be respectful and passionate uh, about what you do every day. I love it. I love that reminds me a little bit of Jocko uh, Willick. Yeah, uh, has some similar stuff. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, wondering if you can contrast the highest high in your time at Cold Star versus the lowest low. I don't know, you know, anything from recession stuff or. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a, a great story and I'll, I'll make it as short as I can. But I'll tell you in, in year one where you're almost I guess we we're in business about a year. And um, on a Thursday afternoon, late in the afternoon, my controller came to me and said, hey, we got a problem. We're $10,000 short for payroll tomorrow morning and there's no more money. Every credit card's maxed out, all this sort of stuff. And if I don't meet payroll tomorrow morning, the guys are going to walk, you know, and, and the business is done. Right. And so uh, I was stressed to the max. I'm sitting in my office. I call my wife and tell her. And, you know, we sit on the phone. We get all upset. There's a few tears and all that stuff. And my wife says to me, just come home. We've done the best we can, you know, but it's done. There's nothing we can do. So go home, spend all night, you know, trying to think of a solution. Can't come up with anything. First thing Friday morning, I go into work and, you know, normally I would hand out the paychecks and I, uh, I said that um, I've got a business meeting on a phone call. I got to take, and then I'll do that. All of a sudden, the postman comes in about three hours early with one envelope, puts it on my desk. I look at it, and it's a check, but it's a check from Bakemark, and Bakemark is the largest bakery supply company in Canada, and uh, at that time, and we were hauling for them, and I knew right off the bat they owed me two thousand dollars. And I went, we're still $8,000 short. And so I'm sitting there, but I opened the envelope and it's a certified check for $20,000. And I went, oh my God. So I call my wife, she goes, go cash it. So I run to the bank, or first I hand out all the paychecks. I run to the bank, I cash the $20,000. 
And then I wait till four o'clock. You know, this is Friday. I wait till four o'clock on Friday and I call Bakemark and talk to the accounts payable person and said, hey, there was a mix up. I was going through the bank deposit today um, and you cut me a check for $20,000. And she goes, no, no, it was for $2,000. I said, no, it's 20. She looks it up and she goes, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I said, don't worry about it. I said, I'll, I'll cut you the check for 18,000 and send it back to you on Monday, which I didn't have. Um, and um, and uh, I said, or we could just put it on your account and you could just work it, work it off that way. She goes, yeah, 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 let's do that. And Coolstar never looked back after that. And so I, I always look up and go, I don't know who was looking out for us. I'm not a religious person, but on that day, somebody was looking out. Now, the <laughs> funny part to finish that story was about five years later, I'm at a charity event for Bakemark and the CEO's there. And I got up on the stage and I, I told that story and the CEO came up and hugged me and thought that was the greatest story ever, you know, but, but every time after that, that we would get into financial stuff, we would just look up and go, we don't know how we're getting through this, but something's going to happen. And it always has. So, uh, so that was my biggest high. And, and to this day, it, it, it sort of gave my wife and I the knowingness that we can do this. It, you know, it, it, this is bigger than us. We're going to make it through. So, yeah. Holy smokes. That yeah. is wild. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely wild. Um, last kind of direct business question here before the, the advice stuff. Anything that you want to highlight outside of the EV truck, uh, reefer truck that's coming up in the next three to six months? We've been going through with COVID and stuff like that. Obviously, like every business, it's been very challenging um, and stuff. So our people have for the last couple of years have just been busting it so much. You know, we're still going to make sure everybody was able to eat and all that sort of stuff. So I've sort of promised the ops team. We've got a couple little projects that we're just finishing up uh, right now. The EV truck, plus we're doing a, a renovation uh, project up island. Um, but those will all be done by the beginning of June. And I've promised everybody that I will be quiet and I'll sit in my office and and not create any more uh, havoc uh, for a few months. And and we really do believe that uh, we need a bit of time with what we call steady state. Let people catch their breath. You know, uh, you know, just worry about providing this the best service possible to our customers, not throwing you know added projects for the next little while. Six months from now, we'll, uh, hopefully we can be back in a place where we'll take a look at uh, the next shiny object and go from there. But I've promised that I, I will be quiet for, for <laughs> the next little bit. So, and they've earned that. So it's, yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to simplify the last section here, but the the intent of this, I think, is is sort of passing on some of the wisdom that you've gleaned, uh, you and your wife have gleaned over the years, and kind of passing it on. Um, and I want to ask you if there's something that business has taught you about yourself. Is there anything that kind of sticks out uh, that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, I, 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 you know, the first thing that that always pops in mind to my mind is if you're going to own your own business, you have to become friends with risk. Um, now, there's calculated risk and, and stuff like that, but you have to be comfortable with it. You can't you can't get you know stuck in a quagmire. Um, and then it's all about the people. Um, you know, as entrepreneurs, we might have the ideas and stuff. And we, in those early days, we think we can do it all. You can't, you need to, you need to have the people. Uh, so, um, 
it's a bit of a cliche of hire for your weaknesses, but but hire people that are going to be comfortable to say no to you, but also get excited when you, you know, to launch into new projects and stuff. But uh, you have to be able to trust them and they have to be able to uh, um, know that it's a safe work environment to, in that case. So, yeah. Oh, I think that's great. Um, and then on the business development side of things, is there anything that you've approaches you've approaches you've taken from day one, or as you've kind of broken through certain hurdles or revenue marks for the business? Anything that sticks out there? I would say every time I've gone away from my core values, it's been a disaster. Um, and I, and there again, that's a bit of a cliche. But I think before you even start a business, what makes you tick? You have to understand that. How do I want the business? What do I want the culture of that business to be and all that sort of stuff? And, and it's got to be that feeling in your gut. And then listen to that gut. Really, you know, no matter what people are telling you or the noise, you've got to listen to that. Because every time I've gone away from that, it's come back to bite me. And, um, and I get really angry at myself when I allow that to happen. Um, and then you get back on track and all of a sudden, you know, the business is, uh, it starts to excel again. We're running into that 30 minute time frame. So I'm going to jump to the final four. These are four static questions that we ask each interviewee. Um, and I'm going to start off by asking, what is your, or do you have a favorite book? There's no parameters on fiction, nonfiction. Uh, my favorite book right now uh, is a book called A Long and Happy Marriage by Jennifer Hawes, which is my wife. My <laughs> wife has just written her first novel. It hasn't been published yet. But it's at the, the publishing house. We're hoping she gets published. But other than that, the other one is um, Bear Town by Frederick Bachman. Fantastic book. Best personal advice that you've received. Doesn't have to be attributed to a specific person. It could be kind of amalgam. So um, Army Days. Uh, Sergeant Gilmore, um, I, he was a battle school instructor of mine. Uh, as I was graduating, I asked him what, in his opinion, what is a true leader? His quick answer to me is when the bullets are flying and everybody's in the trench and it's you have to go, you need to know that you can be the first one out of the trench and that everybody's going to come with you without you looking back. And I went, Okay. I said, how do you make that happen? And he tapped me on the shoulder and said, and that's the, that's your life's goal is to figure that out. Um, and, and I walked away from that going, that was no help, but it's every time I get into a situation of some kind of leadership, I think, okay, if I make this decision, is that going to upset everybody? Or, you know, all that. Anyways, it's my filter. And, uh, and that's what helped me come up with the respectful, passionate thing. Army guys, you can yell at them. And what's the first thing that's going to happen? It's time to go. They stay in the trench and you get shot. And they laugh and go, holy crap. Thank God that guy's gone. Right? Or you can be respectful and, you know, and try to nurture people and stuff like that. And they're coming out of the trench at the same time with you. Oh, I love it. Um, app or piece of software you cannot live without aside from your email and Microsoft Office Suite? Um, audible, audible books and podcasts. Um, what I love, I've got a couple dogs. I love to hike. Um, and so when, uh, when I'm hiking, I put my audible books or a podcast on and uh, that, that's my decompression time. So that's crucial. Perfect. Very final one for you. Favorite restaurant in Vancouver Island? 
So I have to go with two, I'm afraid. We're a foodie city. So the collective on Cook Street, incredible. And then a Wind Cries Mary in Bastion Square um, is a new restaurant that's just opened up. Those two are my go-to. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.